You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 218, covering Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night and Inquisition. Hi friends, we're back. We're not in the same room anymore. No, it's sad. It is, but, you know, back to normal, back to business. Back, back to, to the fucking shitty-ass episode. And rule, rule of threes, I had to say a third thing. Yep. Thank you for stepping up and reminding me that we did indeed watch a shitty, shitty episode. Yep. We got a, we got a bit of a roller coaster right here in the latter portion of Season 6 of Deep Space Nine. That is true. We have unconditionally my favorite. Like, I've always like, okay, this is top five. This is the best one of this season. No, next next week is my favorite DS9, maybe my favorite Star Trek episode of all time. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it again to see if it beats out the Doomsday Machine, because I really mm-hmm. like the Doomsday Machine, but... Uh, it's going to be top three for you, th- probably. That too. shit's close, man. Yeah, it is amazing. But we got one this week that's a real stinker, and we got two back-to-back the following week that are just terrible. Like, this, it's a weird up-and-down thing mm. for a little while here. Yep. Which I just realized that's what a roller coaster is. I don't know why I clarified. <laughs> you already know that's not a metaphor that requires explaining. So it's up and down like a roller coaster, not straightforward and smooth like a monorail. Right. What's it called? Monorail. Uh, I <laughs> the national say, song of walking around Seattle. Apparent. Well, only downtown Seattle. Yes, but still. We have a train, but it only goes here. <laughs> uh, I should mention our appearance at the uh, emerald city comic-con which uh, you sort of heard last week uh, as we recorded from matt's hotel room in seattle was an overwhelming success uh we were there uh, uh at our table trying to sell this show yep. and our other shows that went really well we did a live show for our sketch comedy podcast sarcastic voyage which went tremendously well yep 250 people who would have thought not that me. room the, the capacity of that room is 252 it was full mm-hmm. And there were about 20 or 30 people outside that couldn't get in. Yep. So, <laughs> including most... my best friend. Yeah, in- including one of our good friends. Yep. Like a few people we know couldn't get in. And that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, but the fact is, almost 300 people wanted to come out and see us. And there were still that many people in the room when it was over. It's not like they all showed up and then said, oh, this is terrible. Like, no, they stayed and they laughed. And it was our biggest thing to date. Yep. Like, we did so well, so... We're really happy about that, and we don't promote that show often here because they're two different things, but if you do want to check out our sketch comedy show, it's called Sarcastic Voyage. It's at sarcasticvoyage.com, and it's on iTunes and all the other Yes, it's very good. We we stand by it. We've been doing it a little longer than this show, and we feel like it's finally evolved into something we're proud of. Yep. And, and the fact that all those people showed up and enjoyed what we did. Yeah. Means, it's like, you know, what? Means we're finally, uh, we're finally making it. Yeah. So this was... This was to us this year what last year's uh, Kotaku telling people to listen to our show was. Ah. Which every now and then someone will write in and say, yeah, I've been listening ever since that guy from Kotaku told us to uh, listen to your show. Like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. That guy actually tweeted at us yesterday. So, you know, thanks again, guy. Yeah. Appreciate that. You're all right. I I am stalling. Well, you know, Alf. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about Wrongs Darker Than Death or... Were you still saying the title? Because I, I stepped out for a smoke. <laughs> I stepped out and took up smoking. And then, bought a pack of cigarettes, came back and smoked. <laughs> and then quit smoking. Started vaping went, and kicked that. Went through withdrawal syndrome. Yeah. Now I'm really into this heroin thing, so... Yeah. Uh, this is uh, uh, DS9's For the World is Hollow. Except uh, I remember that episode being a little more enjoyable. Yeah, a little bit. And we didn't even enjoy that one. No. So, in any event, wrongs darker than death or night. Or sometimes, Matt and I are forced to invent things that weren't actually seen on screen to clarify the events that we did see. We call these little speculations no-prize explanations in reference to the old Marvel Comics practice of requiring nitpicky nerds to invent a plausible rationalization for the tiny inconsistencies they felt compelled to point out. I feel like the internet would be a much better place today if this policy was widely implemented. Anyway, here's my no-prize explanation for what happens in this episode. The station suffers from a carbon monoxide leak. 
Consequently, Dax thinks it's perfectly reasonable to ask Worf if they can have a giant loud party in their quarters, where people dress up in Klingon blackface. O'Brien tries to convince Bashir to fight on the losing side in a holosuite recreation of the Battle of the Alamo. And Kira receives a taunting call from Gul Dukat, which she doesn't trace because he tells her that it's untraceable. Also, she doesn't report it to anyone because why would Starfleet or the Bajoran militia want information about an escaped war criminal who is quite possibly the Alpha Quadrant's single most wanted individual right now? But Dukat called to, to taunt Kira about her mother, sending her into a rage like so much Spock. So, she decides, the sensible solution here would be for me to use the orb of time to literally go back to the past to see if my mother actually had a relationship with Gul Dukat. Because traveling into the past based on deliberately provocative statements of a known pathological liar is perfectly reasonable. Also, it's a thing people are totally allowed to do. Seriously, gas leak is the only logical explanation here, guys. So, Kara travels to the past, materializing for some inexplicable reason with different hair and clothes. She meets her younger self and her entire family, just as her mother is carted off to become a Cardassian comfort woman, which is exactly what it sounds like. So Kira lets herself get captured as well, because who the hell even cares about history or causality or sense? The gas leak clearly followed her into the past. She and her mother, Maru, the cat who jumps into boxes, are taken to Terok Nor, where they meet a handsome young gull named Dukat, who does indeed do the nasty and the pasty. Except for him, it's just the present. Kira, sensibly for once, is outraged that her mother would do something so gross, and reacts by trying to blow her up. But then she changes her mind, and she comes back to the present having learned a lesson. Or not? According to Memory Alpha, this episode is a favorite among the writers and producers, which truly is a wrong darker than death or night. Is death dark? Is it dark enough to be darker than wrongs? I don't know. I know night can get pretty dark, because I've been out in it. Yeah, but it's all, always darkest before dawn. That's true. Before Dawn slams a door. Get out! Get out! Get out! <laughs> this was like... This was oh. a fucking basket of turds, man. Like... it's The thing is, I truly, truly believe there is a kernel of a good... Like, the, the central conflict, the idea during the occupation that Kira's mom would have to make this horrible, horrible decision. Mm. It is not treated lightly. No. It's it's treated with all the weight that you, that you would expect, and we find out that her dad knew about it and is like, well, this is best for the kids. This is horrible, but more horrible would be starving our children to death. Yes. So, like, I like that. It's it's the perfect sort of awful, dark shit that this show does well. Ab but it absolutely is. The problem yeah. is fucking Kira going on a wild adventure through time. Yeah, actively participating in this. To like, that doesn't make sense. It's like, this episode could be so much better if it was, like, her doing research into her mother and finding out all of this crap. Yeah. Like, we could even go back to the reading of the erotic diaries, like in, uh, fucking Bever Fucks a Ghost. I think we can, uh, do without that. <laughs> because, of course, the exchanging of erotic journals from, uh, yeah. from, uh, older relatives is a well-known practice in Star Trek. Apparently it is. No, I I feel like, the, like I say, the writers and producers actually patted themselves on the back. We didn't want to do another flashback episode. We wanted to do something different. Oh, so time travel. That's something different. Good job. It's, oh, just, just, it's, it's, the, it's so, it's how so, it's, everyone is so blasé about this. You are traveling back in time, for God's sake. This is a big deal. And why? But, to but, satisfy your curiosity. Because a liar said something that's probably not true. Mm -hmm. Like, who lies? Maybe maybe Garrick lies more than Dukat, but apart from him, I just, he's the number two liar. The fact that she, this was all set off by what basically amounts to a prank phone call. A prank phone call that, as I pointed out, she doesn't bother to trace because he says, don't bother to trace You can't this. trace me, Major. I'm Oh, well, if you, if you said that, well, you covered that base well. I'm so glad she didn't trace the call. I have no idea how to cover up a phone call. Really covered up your trace. I mean, like, Good listen, I'm not a phone guy. I basically am a gull and a crazy person. I don't know shit about how to cover how to do this. Well, plus he's calling, like, you could see in the background there's still, like, Starfleet stuff. He's in that stolen shuttle he has. Yep. So Starfleet transmissions are almost certainly traceable. Mm-hmm. It's not like Cardassian stuff, which is probably 50 times encrypted. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, my bad thing. I honestly, I counted and we've done, I, I put 500 in my notes and I I, my math was wrong. It's about 400. We've covered about 400 Star Trek episodes in total so far. Mm. That's a lot. 79 original series, 178 uh, next gen, 
uh, animated series and the most of DS9 now. Uh, I, and honestly, I truly believe this. Out of all of those, out of all 400 or so, this is the stupidest. Like, n- nothing makes less sense yep. than this. It's not the worst episode we've done. It's not even bottom 10, I would no, say. No, I wouldn't go that far either. But Because uh... there's a lot of good in here, and, and yeah. And it's certainly not worse than, you know, some others. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's... It doesn't, like, it just, it violates some basic principles of the show. It violates a lot of stuff that just we've established as, like, being super important. The fact that Kira just gets to time travel with no regard for history just flies in the face of everything we've seen in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Putting aside the fundamental problems of logic, let, let's just talk about, okay, the Federation wants to admit Bajor into into it. Wants to get them to join their club. Yes. The Federation is obviously not down with this kind of thing. No, they have an entire organization set up to prevent this sort of thing from happening. Right, and every time our guys travel back in time by accident, they do everything they can to put things right because that's important. Mm-hmm. So a society that will just let their citizens travel back in time willy-nilly to to confirm facts. Now, she does have to get the emissary's permission for it. I will give her that. Which puts him in a terrible It position. really does. Because Kira is one of his great friends. He trusts her tremendously. He's She saved his life. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he owes her so much. But don't ask him to do that. No. Uh, all right. All right, Major. But this year you are not getting a birthday present or a Christmas present. <laughs> it's just... It's, it it's this or the, or the At-At Imperial Walker. You have to choose. I just don't get how... Like the the scene that she has with Cisco is actually really good because he says what no yeah I, why would you ask me that of course not and then we cut to some time later where she's consulting the orb of time like he conceded we don't see how she made him concede no nope. because the writers even admit there's no way he would no nope. let's just cut that part out <laughs> hello Kai Win yeah I got a <laughs> this is a bit of a question. Can I get into that orb of time for... No, well, no. Can I get Kira some uh, into that orb of time for a while? Kira, yeah, the one who yells at you all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. No, you know She's her. She's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't? Oh, this episode is completely unfeasible? All right, I'll let her know. And then, okay, on top of all that, I, the relationship between Kira's mother and Dukat has never been mentioned before. Nope. Surely Dukat would have brought it up, like, in all the way, in all the different ways he's tried to get under her skin. That is such a, that like, that is such a, um, what's the word I'm looking retcon? for? Here? No, not a retcon, but, like, if he, if he had that information, you know he would use it for something. Oh, he absolutely would. He has leverage over yeah. it. Yeah. Like, and, that, uh, that, that is huge. The thing is, in the very next episode we're going to cover... There is a huge retcon that will f- make you like change the fundamental like way you look at Starfleet, uh-huh. and it's like wow, everything has always been this way, huh? But it's interesting and it kind of works. Yeah. Whereas in this case, it it's does. It's ridiculous. I the, the kind of character Gulducott is. Yeah. This would he would not hide. That. He would ne- He because he can use that. Yes. Like th- he's it's, been he's been alone with Kira so many times, and then like to just have to to just blow it up this like oh I noticed it I noticed it was your mother's sixtieth birthday, Major. I just thought I'd call up and say yeah I hit that yeah. Ducat out. Oh damn, I'm good at revenge. Also, really clumsy telegraphing of like she gets flowers because it's her mother's birthday. Uh-huh. She's talking about her mother, her mother, her mother. Oh, look, here's an episode about her mother. Mm. I hate when they do that. Yeah, unfortunately, they do it a lot in TV, too. I know. It's not just Star Trek. No. But it is always clumsy and annoying. It is. And I don't know, like, now that we can do more serialized stuff, it would maybe be better to, like, mention her mother in episode three and then bring this up in episode ten or whatever. Yeah. But whatever. Overall, though... Like, honestly, I can't think of a framing device that makes less sense than let me go back and, like, and, and even the basic idea of, like, like I said, her hair and clothes change. Yeah, I know. They use the Orb of Time, like, somebody stole it and used it in the, the Tribble episode, and everyone looked the same. Mm-hmm. Like, because that at least, I mean, it still doesn't make sense. But, but that makes a little more sense. But it's like, well, the prophets will t- tell me what to do. The prophets don't give a shit, man. No, and to the prophets, this all happened at the same time. Yeah. They don't understand what going back in time is because to them, there's no such thing. Yeah, it just, oh. Yeah. It's really infuriating. 
It is. And there's no reason for it other than we wanted to do something different. Yeah. That's not good enough. Like, you need you need a better reason than that. No, there's a way to do this episode. There's a way to do this episode and execute it really well. Well, like I say, the, the actual conflict. Mm-hmm. The idea that her mom, like, there's no easy answer here. No. There's no, like, oh, well, of course she did what she had to do. No, it's still terrible. It's horrible. And they really, they do a great job of making Kira's mother, Maru, the cat who enjoys boxes, mm-hmm. um, like, looking, like, like being really conflicted over it. There's a great scene at the end where she gets a message from her husband on uh, Bejor, who's just like, yeah, no, do, look, you need to do, do whatever you have to do to be happy. Like, well, the the arrangement is the Cardassians will give the family more rations, mm-hmm. like a bigger place to live and more food. Yeah, if their mother does this, mm-hmm. so the kids don't get don't starve to death now. Like that's the whole point yeah. of this, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And she's basically sacrifice. She's basically throwing her entire life away. Yeah, for her kids, it's pretty noble, but it's also awful. Yes, and yeah, I just. Uh... And really, my good thing is I do like, like we've always said, we like the uh, the uh, the episodes set in the occupation. Mm-hmm. We we enjoy seeing like what made like Quark Quark, what made Odo Odo. Yeah. And and this, I mean, this goes to when Kira was a tiny baby, but really, it it does it is sort of her formative years. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a genuinely in character and suitably creepy glimpse into the Ducat and the way he ran things. Like, there's a great bit in. They, they have, like, a little getting-to-know-the-comfort-girls creepy party. Yeah. And the one that's hanging out with Kira, the Cardassian who's hanging out with Kira, is, like, saying what Ducat's going to say a minute before he says it. Yeah. Like, like oh, I'm sorry, dear. Let's get you cleaned up. I'm sorry, dear. Let's get you... How did you know he was going to say that? Oh, this is not the first time he's done no, this. No, this, this is his regular technique, which, again, very, very Ducat. Well, because the episode did a good job of making me think for a minute, Oh, maybe he is kind of compassionate in his way. No. Or at least he was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And no, no, no. This is just another of his things. This is this is these are the, these are the games that he plays, you know. I have to make it's not just that I have that we have to have sex. It's that you have yep. to thank me for it. Yep. Oh, that is so him. Mm-hmm. But it really like they really did early on make it feel like okay, this is young Dukat. Yeah. Maybe he hasn't gotten bitter and and angry yeah. yet. No. Maybe he actually does care about the good of the Bajoran people. No, he doesn't. No. Not at all. Uh, also, good job on the makeup. They did make him look substantially younger because mm-hmm. we're 15, 20 years in the past. Maybe more. Maybe like 25. Well, Kira is like what? She th- She's like three or four. Yeah, yeah we meet maybe at, at the oldest five. And I would say Kira now is 30. Yeah, I'd say about 30. Maybe a little older. I can't tell. No. I'm I'm bad at guessing ages, but I would guess 30 to 35. So, yeah, we're, in th- we're 30 years in the past. Let's yeah. see. Which, you know, is a long time ago. Mm. And they did a good job on the makeup making Gul Dukat look younger. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've seen craggly Mark Alimo... Oh my god, you know, go back and watch uh, uh, Beyond the Stars. Actually, go back and watch Beyond the Stars again anyway. Yeah, great episode. Yeah, but go back and get a look at him. Good lord. Yeah, <laughs> the, the craggly. The man could be a lizard person. I, yeah, so I it's mean, a good thing he plays one, I suppose. Right. I'm not a lizard person, but I play one on TV. Actually, I am a lizard person. I'm a lizard gangster. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I did, I did like that. I like, I like this the actual story. If you take Kira out of it, yeah, there, if you take Kira out of it, this is a really good, really good uh, occupation era story. Yeah, horrible, horrible choice that this woman has mm. to make. No answer would be right. Yeah. She saves her dignity, her family dies. Mm. No, I just... Like this is an episode... Like, we, we've talked about this before, about um, about you, you not enjoying episodes about uh, characters sort of wandering off and doing their own thing. Like, we're losing the ensemble. Well, this is the... Yeah, this is the thing about DS9 Season 6, and actually, I think we get it back in Season 7 mm. a bit. Because there's a huge... Like, this is not a story spoiler, but the finale of this show is like 10 episodes long. Like, the second half of Season 7 is the finale. Yeah. Which is great. And that means a lot of ensemble stuff. That means a lot of people interacting and doing stuff as a team mm-hmm. and not wandering off on solo adventures. Yeah. But my po- my point for this episode is it would have been, it would have worked so much better if the framing device had been Kira doing the research on this. And then you just tell us a story about Kira's mother. Yeah. Like, the, I, I have the, seen TV shows do that before where it's just like, ah, eh, we'll do an episode about, like, someone's family member and we won't have that many. We won't have much of the... That- 
We want a bunch of the cast in this one. It'll be. We've a... done that on this show before. Yeah. We've totally done that on this show before, where Kira like rediscovers her old, um, you know, her old resistance cell, and we get re- flashbacks to that. Yeah. Or you know, like we've had uh, resistance or uh, uh, occupation flashbacks a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and that's the point. The the producers didn't want to do that because they've done it before. Well, you know, like this. It works. This is not better. No. You it just you you, like you said, tried to do something different and it just fucked up. No time travel, like time travel should be a big deal. That's what I was saying. Yeah, like it's like magic on a on a magic show. Mm-hmm. Like, like on a show like Buffy or something, when people use magic, it's a big deal and it has consequences. Yeah, it's it's like when you use the big guns, when you use the big stuff, and time travel in a sci-fi show should be the biggest gun you have. Yeah, you should only go to it occasionally, and it should have catastrophic consequences. Mm-hmm. And oh, just fucking or or I I am willing to forgive it if it's a goofy fun episode like Tribbles. Yeah. Even uh, large parts of Time Zero, mm-hmm. where Data's just in the past doing goofy shit. Yeah. Star Trek Four, like there's there's plenty of times when time travel can just be goofy. But if it's serious, it has to be, it has to have huge. Well, that's the thing because the tone of the episode, like, oh, there's nothing funny in this episode. No, this is a deeply like this is a dark, super serious episode, which means yeah. that I spend time thinking about the consequences of time travel. If you're doing a goofy, wacky, fun episode where they're goofing around in the past, I don't care about that kind of crap because it's not important. Well, yeah, the last time we saw the Orb of Time was when these guys went back and met Captain Kirk and Spock. Yeah. And that was fun, so I didn't care. But I, I, I although I believe I even brought it up in that episode, I didn't like the Orb of Time then either, and I don't like it now. Nope. But although, I will, I will say this, the great thing about uh, Tribbles is that even with the episode going on, like, the characters themselves are trying not to be discovered. They're tr- working really hard to maintain the timeline. Kira does not give a shit about any of that in this episode. No, I was not exaggerating in my summary when I said she tries to kill her mom. She she has had it. She doesn't agree that, you know, this is the right thing to do. And she plants an explosive in Ducat's quarters to kill them both. Yeah, which is my bad thing, by the way. Seriously? Okay. What in the actual fuck are you thinking, Kira? Oh, both of us. Like, all of our notes are just us, you know, say, What are you doing? What? Are like, you... It's all a bunch of all caps. Like, it's a it's a building thing throughout the episode. Like, it's, she is in the past for about a minute before she uh, before she stops a fight with uh, uh, her father and some fucking soup-stealing asshole. Yeah. Which, first of all, you know for a fact worked out because all of these people were still alive to do things later. You do I don't not know need... about her... I honestly don't know about her siblings. Like, did her siblings live? You know what? I don't know. We haven't really met them. They, they've been mentioned before, like, once. Yeah, because apparently this was, like, a callback to, to previous mentions. Yeah. But I don't think we've ever met any no. of them. Maybe they didn't make it through the occupation. That, we don't know. that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, but, but, I mean, anyway. like, uh, just but I mean, like just off the top, the fact that she just, the second she's in the past is like, well, so much for, uh, so much for quietly uh, observing. Somebody's threatening my family, and I'm going to go defend them. Yep. Even though they are clearly capable of defending themselves, doesn't matter. Yeah, and this kid shit keeps happening to the point where we get to like we finally get to the future, and she puts a, like she puts a fucking bomb in Ducat's quarters to kill him and her mother, and even though even though she prevents those two people from getting killed, two guards fucking get blown the shit up. Yeah, and you know causality. Yeah. Like, that has to change something. Mm-hmm. Unless this is one of the, like, Star Trek typically doesn't do this, but maybe the orb of time is different. Maybe it's like a, like, predestination thing. Like, maybe it, because Ducat does mention previously there was an assassination attempt on him early in his relationship with, with uh, Kira's mom. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So that might be, it might be like a circular, you know. And that, that assassin, assassination attempt, that's come up before, I think, too. Well, no, there's been a lot of assassination that, attempts. Well, that is true. I, it might not be this specific one because there's, you know, and that makes sense because they keep trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Ducat's not the fucking roadrunner. Well, yes. Fucking Kira trying to drop his safe on him. Well, wouldn't you? Why did this work? Let me go check the Ducat Chow, which is probably just a Bajoran porno mag, but uh... <laughs> meep meep. Major. Yeah. Thup thup thup. No, and but I mean, she's doing so much stuff. Like she's, she's one of the comfort girls. Uh-huh. She goes up there with her mom, and she like this. This has to change stuff. But uh, let's say her plan succeeded, 
and she actually killed Dukat. That would change some, like, so that means then the Dominion might not never have, like, met up with, like, the Cardassian, you know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't have allied themselves, like, and that might be good, but it might, it, it, whatever it is, it changes a lot. Yeah. Like, it might be for the best, but it's still, you're not supposed to change stuff. No. The only, the only way this episode actually works at all uh, is if the Orb of Time actually just made her hallucinate this whole thing. Yeah, but then that kind of undoes what happened in Tribble. I mean, that's that is the thing. Like they've already set it up as no, you're actually going back in time. Yeah. So what she should have done was use the Orb of Truth. Let's say. Yeah, that would be fine, and that shows you like. Yeah, like sometimes we don't know what actually happened. The Orb of Truth will shed. The, you know that just I can I could totally write that flowery fucking mm-hmm. bullshit. <laughs> it will it will shed light on the. Uh, the, the, uh, they, the shadows of the past. Yeah, whatever. Fucking I, yeah, doesn't matter. And that may that 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 I would actually be okay with. I honestly would have been fine with. Okay, here's how I would have framed this. Ducat, they they have a lead on him. He escaped, but they have a lead on him. So Kira's commanding the like maybe not commanding the Defiant, but she's in some way in charge of the mission, chasing him down. Yeah. They almost catch him. He says that taunting thing about her mother. She has access to like. Cardassian security footage. Mm-hmm. So every all the flashbacks we see are from security cameras on the station. And so we cut back and forth between her chasing Ducat and watching this footage. Yeah, that sounds great. That would be, that would work just fine. Mm-hmm. But no. Fucking going back in time. I just... Uh, uh. <laughs> it just... It's, and she goes back in time for some reason. Well, you can't lose the talking pie. The talking pie is your heart. <laughs> No, it's, it's, like I say, it is not the worst episode we've ever done by a lot, but it is the stupidest, like, The, the premise is garbage. Yeah. Just, and, yeah. Just, just hot buttered garbage water. Does not make sense. <laughs> That's a new one. Yeah. Uh, what was your good thing? What was my good thing? Hmm. Uh, oh yeah, I like the opening sequence with Dax and Worf. That's uh, actually my question. Well. Let's hear it. Is Saratoga put in this morning? We are not having another party. I promise, not more than 50 or 60. I can see it now. 200 people jammed into our quarters, eating, drinking, laughing. Sounds awful. What if I promise absolutely no laughing? No, I mean it. You won't see a single smile the entire evening. It'll be the grimmest party you've ever been to. When do you want to have this party? Next week. And I was thinking, maybe this evening should have a theme. What kind of theme? What if everyone came as their favorite Klingon? Bad idea. I just, I, I'm with you, Worf. Like it's a nice, uh, it's a, it's a nice uh, return to them as married, as adorable married couple. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is a conversation that happens a lot. Yeah. Worf, I want to have a party. Oh, I don't want to have a party. But it'll only be a very small party. Everyone will be very quiet. We'll have, we'll have board game night. That sounds even worse. Oh, please, you know Worf loves board games. He probably does, because they're boring and terrible. Uh Nah. Gonna play some cards against humanity. 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 Yeah. Settlers of Kronos. (laughs) No, I, I... I'm with Worf, like... No, don't bring 300 loud people into our... into our house? What is wrong with you? I don't... Come on. Don't my shrine broken again. Why don't... Why don't we just, like... If you want that many people, why not go to Quarks? Mm-hmm. Or one of the other places on the promenade that can hold a lot of people. Why yeah. like, our house, really? Jadzia, li- Jadzia likes to entertain. I, I get that, but, you know. <laughs> Worf likes to sleep. Look, I'm on his side on this one. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty clear. Oh, clearly, yes. And I'm not even being anti-party. I'm being anti-party in their two-room house. No, let's go fucking to Quarks. We'll get dinner with a bunch of people. That should be fun. Yeah. And then maybe a handful of people come back and watch TV with us or something. Yep. Let's all watch, you know, fire up a movie or whatever. <laughs> this is a Klingon war documentary that... Uh, 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 or I would say play whatever the 24th century equivalent of Rock Band is, but he probably only has Klingon operas on it. <laughs> so that's... Not I funny. will do the singing. <clears throat> you shake... Th- this is the story of a little ship that took <laughs> a little trip. He's turning his poems into songs. No, no, Al, it would be Hungry Like the Wolf. Of course it would. Because <laughs> he keeps deleting it. <laughs> uh, I'm on a hunt. I'm after you. Oh, that is a very Klingon song. He, he would like that. Yeah. Hungry, hungry like the war. 
How did you? How did I have to finish that? I don't know, but that's a good one. I'm very pleased with that. I, uh, you that should. Was, you should that, be very proud. That was yours. You should write that. You should write your parents about that one. I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> uh, I'll go back in time and tell my mom about it. How about we don't do that? That's not. Uh, any further things? Any further things? We have... I have a note. This is like my fifth note as I'm as I'm going along. Mother. No, not this one. No, no, please, not yet. No! <laughs> not happy birthday! <laughs> and uh, just my notes keep going like, I, what? She wants to what? Yep. What? <laughs> what the actual fuck? And your notes are basically the uh -huh. same. Also, I love that we, did we mention this? We both have the Maru joke. Yeah, I, I put that on like on our Tumblr. Yep. Like, we've been doing this for so long that we finish each other's summaries. Matt, finish my summary. I hate this. Uh. Uh, that's all I have. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of uh, random pounding on the keyboard and Why sigh. are you doing that? That is not what people do. Ugh. Just it's like it's like when you watch a really inept movie like The Room, where people don't act like humans. Yep. And you're like, D is this the first time you've seen a person? Do you not know how people act? Yeah. Like I have no frame of reference for the way characters are behaving, and that's that's what this episode is. All right, let, let's move on. Oh, I didn't expect this. Ha ha ha. Why don't you do Inquisition, man? All right. So Julian's preparing to leave for a medical conference when Starfleet's internal affairs department, led by Director Sloan, arrives looking for Dominion Spy. I guess these are the guys you call whenever an admiral goes insane or whatever. Anyway, Julian's vacation is canceled. Uh, so is Worf's to, to defend his ninth place trophy in the Batleth tournament on Farkas 3, but this is not important to the plot right now. And he is forced to endure a pleasant conversation with Sloan and awarded with no scones. Back in his quarters, Miles contacts Julian secretly and tells him that uh, O'Brien has just been interrogated about Julian for like two hours. They almost had me telling him I was like, I, they almost had me telling him I like you, he says. <laughs> then Julian is hauled off for a much less pleasant conversation with Sloan. He's arrested as a traitor to the Dominion, or from the Dominion. Anyway, Sisko tries his best to defend Julian, but Sloan's arguments are circular and Kafka-esque and refuse to make any sense, which I find personally terrifying. Eventually, Sloane prepares to have Julian slipped away to Guantanamo 4 in the Bay System, where Julian is when Julian is beamed to safety by Wayun. Now, Wayun's telling Julian about how great a Dominion spy is, and it's so nice to have him back, and here's your traitor's check, because you're such a great traitor. And then the Defiant shows up, and Julian gets kidnapped again. This is a running theme in this episode. Now everyone from the DS9 is wicked pissed, because clearly Julian has been a lying traitor for at least a few seasons now. Julian goes for the soft touch and grabs Miles, only to discover that Miles' sprained shoulder is no longer there. Did I not mention Miles' sprained shoulder? Perhaps I, too, am keeping secrets from you. <laughs> anyway, Julian realizes it's all a trick, and then Sloane turns off the holodeck program that it was on and explains that he's actually not working for internal affairs. He works for a secret autonomous agency that works for the government. Son, Sloane says as he removes a pair of sunglasses from his pocket and puts them on, are you aware of the existence of extraterrestrial life in this universe? Yes, says Bashir. I work with a number of them. That's what I thought you'd say, says Sloane. Welcome to the Men in Black. Now sing the song. Here come the Men in Black. Now slide with me. Just slide with me. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, gotta, I gotta say, man, mm. I've been doing this for a while. You don't really know what a theme is, do you? No. The theme of an episode is not Bashir getting kidnapped. <laughs> That's just a that's a that's a thing that happens, right? The theme of the episode. That, that, that's not really the, the theme kidnapping theme. The haunting kidnapping. Oh God! That you do not want to be kidnapped by that guy. Well, at the very least, it wouldn't ta it would take a while. Yeah, that's you true. can probably outrun him. Yeah. Well, he's got those goat legs. All right. This was my screensaver uh, back in two thousand and three. Ah, mine too. <laughs> uh, we, we are, of course, talking about Manos, the Hands of Fate. Haunting Torgo theme saver. Screen saver, whatever. Theme, theme saver. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I enjoyed this episode. I Here's the thing. I remember, like, the, the reveal about Section 31 is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I remember this being a much bigger part of the show, not coming at nearly the end of Season 6. No, the Section 31 is like, that... For me, that that concept is always sort of hung heavy over uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's one of the things I like about it so much. It's because it was such a big deal and such sort of fundamentally changed the way you look at Starfleet. It really does. Like the idea that uh, that Starfleet's had this secret organization since it was formed two hundred years ago, 
mm-hmm. that just moves around in the back in the background doing whatever the fuck it feels like. Yep. Like that really that is such a like that puts such a spin on Gene's vision of what Star Trek is supposed to be. And, and the thing is, we've spent so much time dissing Gene's vision. We don't agree with a lot of it. No. I actually agree with this part of it that humans maybe shouldn't be have secret police anymore. I mean, in theory, I agree with that, but I also think that you're living in a universe with the Cardassians and the Romulans who are much, much better at the average at uh, espionage than, than the average Starfleet officer. And if we don't have something to keep that kind of thing in check, we're not going to last very long. I, I agree with you, and I think it makes for better stories, but I do think it, it is a it, it fundamentally changes what Star Trek is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. In fact, this is my good thing. I, I do like the idea of Section 31. Like Odo says, the Romulans have the Tal Shiar, the Cardassians have the Obsidian Order. Most major civilizations have one of these. Mm. It's a f- simple fact of life, especially during a war. Like, we have the CIA. The CIA does some fucked up stuff. Yep. Like, and and <laughs> every now and then they'll publish a study saying the CIA did this. And like, whoa, that was wrong in the 60s. No, this happened in the 90s. Yep. Oh, God damn it. <sighs> Yeah, they, I, they, I don't remember if it was them or MI5. It was one, it was some first world civilized country that was trying to, to develop a gay bomb. Oh uh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I found this out on QI, but it, it's like, you can, you can Google it. If you can, if you can Google gay bomb and actually find the story and not like porn sites. Some really amazing gay porn. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, sex with bombs, I guess. <laughs> But it's it, like they're doing this shit all the time. The stuff we did against Castro, like, is nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the plots was let's make his the let's make his beard fall out. Nobody will follow him if he doesn't have a beard. Yep. What? Clo- the exploding clamshell, I recall. Well, they were exploding cigars. That too. Because because the CIA takes its cues from Bugs Bunny. <laughs> but honestly, he'll like, never catch that Gold Ducat that way. But, but that's, like, the thing is, Canada has one of those. You have, what is it, CSIS, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, you, like, every major civilized country has something like this, and good or bad, it is a thing that exists. Mm-hmm. And we we don't want to get too political about anything on the show. It's, it's better to just not. But the fact is, just, you know, objectively, yep. most, most, if not all, big civilizations, ex- you know, have some kind of shady organization helping them out. But, you know, again, it is it is very different to what we have come to expect from Star Trek. And I get I get the criticism. Mm-hmm. I just I think it makes for great stories. I so, yeah. completely agree. I love the concept of Section 31. Yeah. And I actually one of the things I liked about Into Darkness was that they name checked this. Yeah. They the idea that they had this this uh, operation where they're trying to accelerate exploration and, and find new allies and new weapons yeah. and stuff was done under Section 31. I was like, that is good. Like, that's good incorporating stuff that was established because it should have been around by this mm-hmm. point. So, good. The, like no, no, the the reveal of Section 31 in Into Darkness was actually, I found that really surprising. It's like, wow, you guys actually, you guys actually know your shit. That's not, I would not expect people to know DS9 crap if they were uh, unfamiliar with, like, if they were just doing a Star Trek uh, show. No, they did. Mm-hmm. There were there were references in the original one as well in the in the uh, two thousand nine one. Oh yeah, J- little things like they they. It's, I, I think Uhura orders a card. Oh right right right. Okay yeah yeah yeah. But the little little enough that they they at least acknowledged that the show existed. I think it seemed to me like they tried to put in a reference at least one reference to each show, mm. which was nice. But in any case, meet Admiral I, Janeway. That's uh, right. I'm an admiral in the past too. Uh, no, yeah. I but in general, I do like the idea of Section Thirty One. I I do think it's kind of lame that it was all a test again. Yeah, that's uh, we've done that and done that and done that. I'm tired I, of doing that. Yeah, eighty percent of this episode takes place in a holodeck simulation that Bashir eventually figures out is fake. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, yeah. Come on, man. But it, yeah, I mean, overall, it's still a great idea. Yeah. And I really like um, it's William Sadler as Sloan. Oh God, he is amazing. I, I to this point, when I saw this in ninety six, ninety seven, whenever it was, I thought I only knew him as uh, Death from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> He's maybe done a few things other than that. Uh, but but what more prominent than that, really? Yeah, 
Don't overlook my butt. I work out all the time. They melvined me. Reaping burns a lot of calories. I said plum. But looking over his, his filmography, he was in one of the Die Hard movies. He was in the Shawshank Redemption. Like, Oh my god, who was he in Shawshank? Uh, he was Haywood, and I don't know. Who no, I have to go check that out later. I can totally picture him in his like prison uniform, mm. but I don't remember. A bunch of movies I haven't heard of, but he, he, I mean, the dude's stayed busy. And he's a great presence in this. He's really, like, powerful. He feels like a grizzled old military guy, but he also feels sort of, like, not past his prime. No. Like, old, like he's seen a lot of shit, but young enough that he can still fuck you up. Nah. And I like that. He, I also, I really like the red herring they drop with this episode. Oh, yeah. Like, the episode, at about the halfway point, Cisco pops up and he's all like, well, it turns out that he had a son who died in a, a Dominion attack that he thinks you were responsible for. And he shows up and like, and, you know, it really feels like a, uh, oh, uh, another Admiral went crazy episode. Yeah, this is, this is like the old Commodores from Kirk's day. Yeah. He's got a personal axe to grind, and he's going to make your life miserable because his personal life has gone wrong yeah. somehow. No, and the, the fact that we can that we veer off, and he's so much more than that. Yeah. Like, I think that's really interesting. No, and we do some great stuff, because he calls him out for that. He's like, yeah, so? Yeah. That, that is exactly right. I did lose a, a, a son in that. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, don't you see that as a conflict of interest? No, I see that I'm more qualified to, to pursue this guy than anybody else because I have a personal stake in this. Yeah. And he's got this weird, twisted logic that's like, well, that's not right at all, but yeah. Yeah. No, he, he spends the whole episode doing that. I really like that, that like, it, it's that Kafka thing again, where it's like yeah. the whole circular, well, if this is true, then clearly that is true. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, doesn't it? Well, their central argument, like, they have a lot of circumstantial evidence, but their central argument is he lied about being genetically altered. Mm. Therefore, can we trust anything else he's done? Yeah. And they got him trapped there because it's like, well, you, you, you got me fair and square. Yeah. I did lie about that. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't, I can't lie further anymore. Like they even confront him and they're like, okay, so why did you finally confess? Well, I got caught. Yeah. Okay. Had you not gotten caught, would you ever have come forward? Eh, probably probably not. not. And I, I admire the hell out of Julian for that. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is good character on Julian. Cause he doesn't back down. Like he's like, no, this is the choice I made because I had to, but I was, I always wanted to keep it a secret, and I would have kept it a yeah, secret. Yeah, I don't... This is not a thing I wanted any no. of you people to know about. No, I'm comfortable with it now, because I have to be. Yeah. But I, I just... I, I admire that about Julian, that he he is honest enough to say, no, of course not. Mm -hmm. Of course I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have to. What, are you crazy? I, yeah. I also really love the fact that we're addressing, like, Julian is a liar. Yeah. He is a... Like, he is a liar, and fucking... That is not a thing, Cisco, especially... But well, Cisco's never liked him personally. They've made that very clear. Yes, and that is but, still true in this episode. Yeah. If you were wondering if Cisco is warm to Julian at all, uh, not much. No, he's very much in the position of, this is a guy under my command, I'm obligated to defend him, I think he's good at his job, but I still don't like him and I don't agree with his choices. Yeah. And that's cool, because they don't always have to be your friend. No. Like, he would fight for Dax's life because that's his best friend. Mm. He's fighting for Julian because... That's his he is a valued crew. He, well, he is yeah. a valued crew member, right? But that's all. Yeah. But on the other hand, I like so the fundamental argument is you're a big liar. How can we believe anything you say? Mm -hmm. And that's where the circular argument comes in. Yeah. Because then he's like, but we can't believe anything you say. So therefore, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it keeps on like that. But then at the end, when he's trying to like when Sloan's trying to justify the existence of Section Thirty One, it's like, but you guys lie. You you'll sneak around. And he's like, yeah. You lied to get into Starfleet. How many lives have you saved? Yeah. Like, sometimes the little lie can make the bigger good, you know, mm -hmm. happen. Which is a worrying philosophy, but he's not wrong. It is. But he has a solid, tangible example where it's like, well, he makes a good point. Yep. Bashir spent the whole episode arguing, I did lie so I could become a doctor. Mm -hmm. And now he's turning around on him. Yeah. And we lie so we can save the Federation. What's the difference? Yeah. It's bigger. But other than that, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, just, I like that. I like, like, it's, I don't agree with it necessarily, but I think... The con the concept is cool, and it fits well with Deep Space Nine. It does, and it's also that thing that I said, the the last episode was missing, and I, I feel like, I, I, I just, I like when, like, the bad guys have um, sort of a, 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 a an equal perspective. Like, we don't have to agree with them. Yeah. They're just at odds with our guys. Like, 
I like that they totally believe what they're doing. That's so good. Yeah. But that feeds into my bad thing, which is I wish Sloan and his Starfleet intel people back before we know they're Section 31 when, they think, when we think they're just uh, internal affairs weren't made out to be the bad guys. Yeah. Because, okay, Michael Dorn directed this, and I can't remember if we've ever covered it. Like, this may be his first time. I don't know. It might be the first time I've noticed. But he, like, he does some crazy Dutch angle stuff where it's like, okay, we're in the bad guy's room now, so it's like the villain's headquarters on Batman. Yep. Like, co come on, man. <laughs> There's that no me. loafing sign. <laughs> no loafing got us here. <laughs> but it's, it just, it would have been so much better. You mentioned Kafka. There's also a bunch of Hitchcock movies where the wrong man is accused of whatever, mm. including one I think called The Wrong Man. Yeah. But it's it's so much more effective when it's the system versus a guy, yeah. and the system isn't inherently evil. It's just it, it's know. there's no there's no humanity to it, you know. Like right. there's no it's it's that unbending like binary right or wrong type thing. Yeah, and it's like you and I have both agreed that one of the most horrifying villains in recent pop culture is Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. Oh yeah, because she's not really wrong but she's in charge and she like it's just bureaucracy has power over you and yeah. she, it's just she's total control over your life yeah it's the scariest fucking thing ever it is and you know like that that itself is enough mm. you don't also need to give the mustaches to twirl yeah it's it's it, we have like these these moments where like the guards are just being dicks to him you know and it's yeah. like that is unnecessary when you can just have them Literally not care about him one way or another. Well, those are they're lazy tactics. They're they're yeah. If you don't work hard enough to flesh out your bad guys having a valid perspective, then you just make them evil. But they'd already done that, so it was overkill. Yeah, that's all. I just I think you know now, they could have done a better. Job. I will say this about that scene: there we get it, uh, when after Julian's been arrested and escorted across the promenade in uh, in in irons in irons basically. Yeah. There's a shot where he, as he's getting taken into Odo's office, and Odo's not there. Like, uh, Section 31's basically taken over the entire, uh... We still think they're internal affairs of this yes, point, but yes. but they've basically taken over the entire security office, which, you know, first of all, creepy on its own, because, I mean, like, you know, if nothing else, the fact that if you go into the security office, you'll see Odo's friendly face, question Yeah, mark. we, well, yeah. yeah. We've, but we've spent six years with these guys like almost six full seasons with these guys. And we know, oh, Odo's office. This is where Odo lives. Yes. He will help Bashir yeah. and he's not he's there. He's not there. And what yeah. I also like is it's swarming with these mysterious yellow shirted. Like, I love the idea that there is just a ton of these guys. Yep. Just yeah, Sloan's got a whole team. Yeah. But, but it's not just a like, it's not just two or three guys. There's a lot of guys in there. Yeah. Which I really like. Like, I like that. He's just sort of brought this, this swarm of guys onto, onto the station. Who are just rooting around doing their own thing, and you know that no one can really do anything about it. No, and apparently, Cisco checks, and apparently there is nobody named Sloane in Internal Affairs. Yeah. So they just faked credentials and came and tossed the place. Which is that's worrying too. Yeah. Just oh okay, so just anyone can walk on and do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. No, it is it is genuinely disturbing to see one of our main characters, our virtuous Starfleet guys, in handcuffs being marched through familiar places. Yeah familiar public places where everyone can see his shame mm -hmm. and then marched into what's supposed to be a safe place where the guy who will save you is there and he's not there yeah. like it's, it, it, but that's the thing is that sequence where he's walking down the promenade looks cool when they go to odo's office that's when the dutch angle like the camera yeah. starts to tilt and it's like okay a bit much yeah come on dorn no if we if they'd sort of played back on that it would have been a real it would have been a much better scene yeah and i i mean i don't know like i say i don't remember him like Someone's going to say, you talked about Michael Dorn directing for five minutes in a previous episode. I'm sure we did. We've done a lot of this show. I don't remember. But I, I don't remember it. Like, Avery Brooks directing jumps out at me because he has really good techniques for actors. Like, a lot of close-ups, a lot of just really actor-friendly stuff. And his directing really makes a mark on me. Mm -hmm. LeVar Burton's is kind of in the middle. It's not bad he does, at all. He, he always, he does, a, he does a good job. He does a competent job of doing the house style, but yeah. he doesn't have a lot of flourishes that really make it say, ooh, this is good. No, he just sort of, he comes in and does the job. Yeah. Like, Renee has directed some, and they're the same. Like, they're good. 
but not amazing. Like Avery Brooks is, I think, the only actor who directs in a way that makes me really notice mm-hmm. it. But this is the first time where one of the actors has done it, where I feel like they have they weren't quite up to the task. That's how I feel. Yeah, about it. I would agree with that. But for the most part, when the actors direct, I think they do a good job. And ninety percent of this episode is good. It's just a few times. I feel like the angles and the lighting and like just the editing make it seem like these guys are just straight up evil and they're not. No, they that that is the thing. Like these guys should be played much more as like just uncaring. Right. And I love toward the end when Sloane's giving his big speech about section 31 and da, da 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 da. Like he really believes we need this. Yeah. This this is a thing we have to do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is he does have a point. He does. It's just, you know, that's not a thing we like to admit. Well, especially in what's supposed to be the ideal future where people have gotten better. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. And overall, like I say, I love William Sadler. I love the idea. Like, but there's there's things not to like, for instance, your your bad thing. Yeah. Um, so we get to the end of the episode and we basically get Sloan and the Section 31 guys in their Section 31 uniforms. Which are black leather and way, way too Gestapo for me. Yeah. I just, even in the 24th century, I have trouble believing it, that people who dress like that still think they're the good, they're the good guy. Please see Mitchell and Webb's Fourth Law. <laughs> if we're wearing skulls, we, we might not be the good guys. Uh, Hans, are we the baddies? <laughs> that is a fantastic sketch, by the way. Um, I would have much preferred a variant on the usual uniform, maybe like a black version, sort of like Kirk's trainee shirt in uh, Trek 2009. Or we were talking about this uh, during the episode, having them wear the standard Starfleet uh, uniform with like a different color of uh, shirt than we've ever seen before. Yeah, wait, you're, you're in a green uniform? I've never seen one of those. Just what like, because those, those three colors, the red, blue, and yellow, are so iconic of Star Trek. Having a guy show up in, like, you know, the normal purple. Trek uniform with, like, yeah, with purple or green or something, and just, that would be so shocking. Yep. Like, I think that, I, I think I that agree, would... but these guys aren't Starfleet. That is true. That's the thing. It's like, they're, they're not, like, Starfleet, and, like, Starfleet is, like, the military, and Section 31 is, like, the CIA. Yeah. They work together, but they're not they're actually the same Well, thing. see, in that case, I would like to see them do the suit thing, basically. But, uh, like, leather fucking uniforms, and it's got that weird front strap thing where it looks like a, like a mad scientist, uh, mm-hmm. thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not like a lab coat, but a, um, it's almost like a dentist thing somehow. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you mean. It's, the thing is, I don't disagree that it's terrible, mm-hmm. but I do make allowances because it was the late 90s, because... We're, we're, I think this is 97 by this point. We're about two years from The Matrix. We're about three years from the first X-Men movie. Like, this was the style of the time. Mm. This was, movies didn't do this to make, like, Neo wasn't a bad guy. The X-Men weren't bad guys. Badasses wore all leather. Yeah. Blade. There's another one yeah. from that era. Like, there, and there's a lot more I'm not thinking of. Yeah. But no, you are, is, you are completely right. But I still think this is that period. I still think it's fucking stupid. No, and at the time, I remember thinking, okay, this is going to pass. Someday, superheroes are going to wear their costumes and not all black leather all the time. And now they do. Yeah. So that's nice. But, you know, it took a while to get out. Like, the 90s, it was a weird time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I remember vaguely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get that you think, well, this is obviously bad guys, but eh, they they think it's just badass. <laughs> That's what they think. I love the idea of Sloane to look at him and be like, God, I look cool. Yeah, I look so cool. I look like Neo. Man, Julian's going to see this. He's going to sign up for Section 31 right away. He's going to be all like, I'll get to wear that. Oh, boy. I want to hear Sloane doing his Bashir impression. Me too. The thing is, William Sadler has such a distinctive voice, and I can't do it at all. No. I just want to do the death voice from <laughs> Bill and Ted. I, Mal- I made Mal- the wigs. I was pushing the cart. Mountaineers. <laughs> well, there's also that. <laughs> uh, what was your good thing? Um, I, I like that. Uh, part of Julian's genetically engineered deal is apparently he's got that photographic memory thing, which is, as a person with a terrible memory, has always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like that the like he finally sort of figures out what's going on because he starts noticing the flaws in the simulation. Well, it's a lot like what happened in statistical probabilities, where 
those guys seem to have magic powers, but all they are is amped up versions of things people can do. Yeah. Photographic memories are a thing people are capable mm -hmm. of. So someone at the peak of their abilities would totally be able to do that. And it's not like he's like a magic betazoid, you know, psychic. Whatever. No, he just, he has perfect recall, which I think is yeah. really cool. And I also think, like, I like that in this episode, Julian never, like, doubts himself. Like, we've done the, uh, oh, yeah. we've done the, uh, well, it turns out you, what if you were a secret spy and you didn't even know it before? I think we did it with, with Riker in some episode. And there's parts where they th those characters start to doubt themselves. I love that Julian doesn't because he knows exactly where he has been at all times. No, and there's a there's a uh, quote that was almost your quote, mm -hmm. where uh, he's questioning him about being in the Dominion prison camp. Yeah, and they say, uh, "So you you were in solitary for five days? That's right. Who were you with? Who was I with? Who was I with in, in solitary? solitary? Let me think. Was I he's with so, anybody? Like like petulant, sarcastic." Julian from season one, like he's grown, yep. but he's still under pressure gets like that. Yeah, you piss him off and you're going to get that kind of thing. He's he's kind of bitchy, and I like that about I him. I like pissed off Julian actually quite a bit. I do too, because he's he reminds me of people that I know mm -hmm. in a way, like, he's kind of like, I don't know how to say it in a nice way, but he's kind of ineffectual. Yeah. Because <laughs> he it's like he's threatening to hit you, but he can't hit you because he's a big nerd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but he's still got the attitude like he's going to punch you. You don't want to cross me. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Or right. cross. I'm very cross indeed. Ooh, my arms are crossed. My eyes are crossed. Okay, that might not be as threatening as I thought it might be. Oh, I can't uncross them now. Mother was right. Ah, uh, froze like this. <laughs> what did I tell you, Jules? <laughs> um... Mother, No! But he's he's very defiant through the whole thing. Yep. <laughs> defiant. Uh, and uh, that was not intentional. <laughs> that is also an adjective that can describe a person. <laughs> he's just, he doesn't back down and he's like, no, I'm not a spy. I, I, I'm not. I know I'm not. And I'm not. And I love it. Yeah. Even when, like, what turns out to be a simulation of Cisco and everybody start doubting him. He's like, but no, you're not going to break me because... There's nothing to confess. Yeah, no, and I love when um, when he gets captured by Wei Yun and he's like, wait, why would you and Sloane be trying to convince me of the same lie that I know isn't true? Oh, you're working together, all right. I know what's now, happening. I will say, not that I think this would have made it a better episode, because it would not have, but I feel like we've done the wrongfully accused of being a spy thing so many times, mm -hmm. it might have been interesting to once have it pay off. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I, I think that was a good choice to not do that, but I feel like we've done so. Like we knew this was going to end with him being innocent. Yeah, just so it turns out. Oh shit! I was pay, I was feeding information to the Dominion. Sorry. But the the idea, the the doubt that's planted in the audience's mind is well, yes, genetically engineered means he's capable of all these things, mm -hmm. but he's also possibly susceptible to a mental condition where he can compartmentalize and completely ignore certain like experiences mm. and sloan makes this sound totally plausible like yeah what if his genetically altered brain means he can he's he's a perfect hypnosis subject yeah like his brain is capable of just completely denying certain things and that makes him a better like sleeper agent see i like that concept unfortunately i think it breaks the show no like i say i think i i don't think the episode should have done that no but it's something to but think I, about but i feel like the plot would have been like less predictable that yeah so there's that also they've already revealed at one point that julian was actually a changeling for a while yeah <laughs> just they don't need to him again him again they don't need to keep doing that to julian but but it is interesting when we get to weyun like i i actually like i knew how this happened because i'd seen it before but i was curious like maybe some people actually thought that it was a thing like well why else would weyun you know mm. and unfortunately because it was all a test whatever tests Anyway, speaking of Wayun, your quote. Oh yes, I just apropos of nothing, I think this is funny. Do you remember when I first offered you scones? Well, there's a there's a thread of scones throughout this episode. Yes, just trying to get my... some damn scones, damn it. Which is my which is my George R. R. Martin book, by the way, a thread of scones. <laughs> it's it's this like. They won't let him use the replicator because he might build a gun, I guess. Yeah, that's the. That, really but sense. I mean, really, it's just to starve him. Yeah, they're keeping him. They're keeping him hungry and. Uh, uh, well, no, no, I don't think that's it. Sleep. Because, 
because they agree they're going to bring him food. And then they bring him Worf's food instead. They bring him gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I my assumption was that it's like, well, he won't eat that. But, you know, Julian actually likes Klingon food, so. I don't know that he likes it, but he went to the Klingon He's eaten at Klingon restaurants before. You don't just decide to eat at a place you don't like. Ah, that's not true. He was on a date. I've gone to a lot of crap that I hate Ugh. on a date. That's just what you do. Come on, Matt. We're going to Greek food. Ugh. You don't like Greek food? I've never had Greek food I like. Have you, have you not had gyros? I don't think so. Well, you would like a gyro because it's like a Greek taco. Oh, all right. It's, it's very similar to a taco. Greek food in my head is yogurt and other things. No, but mostly no. yogurt. No, 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 no. Yeah, a gyro really is, is like a taco but with like lamb meat. And you can get it with beef if you don't like lamb. I actually do like lamb. Oh, well, it's like a taco with lamb and slightly different seasoning. But it's like it's in, an, it's in a pita, which is just a tortilla. Right. And it's got lettuce and tomato and, like, a sauce. If you don't like the sauce, you don't have to get it. But it's basically the same thing. Oh. So, see? Well, Al, to the Greek restaurant. All right. To to Stavros. <laughs> All right. To Stamos? Uh, anything else? Uh, no, I think that's everything. Very well. Um, so that's all. Next week, as I say, one of the all-time greats. Uh, the, the episode entitled uh, In the Pale Moonlight is next week. Mm. I'm very excited about that. And our friend uh, Irish Gav will be joining us, so that's exciting. Haven't haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah. Um, the website, as ever, postatomichorror.com. You want to write to us. Uh, supplemental's coming up in a few weeks, postatomichorror at Gmail. And with that, we are going to leave now. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.